Pilot training outside of the cockpit in a simulator is known as synthetic training. It's getting more sophisticated and realistic. For more, at this week's Sea Air Space Conference, Federal News Network's Tom Temin spoke with an Air Force synthetic training officer with the Air Combat Command, Major Joseph Silverio. And in traditional sense, it's everything that's not flying the actual airplane for an aviator like myself. So traditionally, that would be your sims, uh, your simulator training, newer emerging technologies allowing synthetic adversaries or projected adversaries into the live uh, arena or some type of VR into the cockpit uh, is the avenue or most of what uh, I'm trying to pursue. So the simulator itself has really come a long way then, it sounds like, from the days when there was just a blue screen outside the window and it looked like sky? Absolutely. We still have those levels of trainers, so your your basic uh, HOTAS, uh, hands-on throttle and stick, uh, and button push and trainer with a single maybe touch screen in front of you, all the way up to your full 360-degree dome clamshell, as they call them. Not the greatest fidelity on the visuals, but that gives you the most immersive training. And then to the latest uh, iteration of scenario and environment generation, it's called the Joint Simulation Environment, uh, that the Navy is developing, so we're looking to also adapt that to Air Force platforms. Got it. The first time someone comes in and they are deemed to be qualified as an aviator, that is someone inside an airplane, does that include simply the left seat pilot or co-pilots or different jobs aboard that might be, say, a transport? Yes. So having a fighter background myself, uh, F-15E Wizzo, uh, Strike Eagle in the Air Force, that would be my perspective, but I do have a slight understanding of how uh, crew mentality works. There are, when it comes to simulator training, I'm being brought up to speed on front-end and back-end trainers. So for your crews or your heavies, they have the pilot training simulator, and then they also have the crew, essentially, simulator for your controllers, your Intel, whoever's on the back of that airplane doing their job, they have both sets of those simulators, sometimes working in conjunction, otherwise sometimes working just one piece of that as well. And these simulators move, right? I mean, they have pitch, yaw, roll, diving, climbing. For most fighters, no, and that's one of the limitations oh. as we want it to be as immersive as possible, uh, but there are but for most fighters, no. You don't get that the G-loading, uh, as we call it. That's the one thing that you can't replicate in the sim, that you can in the in the jet. But for not quite sure on all the crew heavies, but I have been in one that does have some motion. It's not 360 degrees or complete, but it, there are crew, two-place, heavy airplane that do have some motion to them. And so what do people gain from synthetic training? What are the limitations of it to the point where you got to get behind the you know, real cockpit at some point? Right. Right. I was uh, going to say behind the wheel. That's probably not the right word. <laughs> I think it would have gone well. I think everybody would have understood that. But, uh, yeah, that is a really great question. The biggest limitations that we have in the live arena, so flying the airplane to actually get training, coming up really is the airspace size, limiting both our weapons uh, range and the adversary weapon range. So we can't really train to as far apart as we need to for realistically anymore. The other pieces of that we're the sim currently has an advantage is just the adversary replication. So we don't, whether we don't have the intel or the airplanes to accurately and operationally represent the enemy airplanes or even enemy ground threats, which are also limited by the airspace size over the ground that they take up. So with those three pieces, those are kind of the advantages of doing things in the simulator or trying to bring that technology into the live arena for a live synthetic we call it live virtual constructive, blended training, whatever you want to call it, bringing the synthetic advantages into the live arena so you sure. can still get to that decision-making under G for fighter pilots, but while well, you have the, while well, you meet the operationally representative of the Red Forces. Yeah, and there are companies that have old fighters that they've refurbished that, that will play adversary for you, but that's expensive, isn't it? Correct. I don't have the details on the numbers of our adversary air contracts, but yeah, it's not cheap, and the 
next portion of that would be trying to get more advanced, more modern fighters for them, which would obviously be more expensive. But that level of training where someone is actually flying the plane and there's an actual flying adversary, that's the very end of training when most of the work has been done in either solo flight or in simulation and synthetic? To me, that's more continuation training. So once you, yes, I guess toward the end of your training continuum, when you are combat mission ready, your everyday training would be up against a live adversary to keep your skills at the top level that you need them to, to be able to go to combat as required. And while someone is undergoing synthetic training, what kind of metrics are you gathering about that person? So that would, uh, another avenue that the Air Force Research Laboratory has been pursuing for uh, a number of years, and they call mission essential competencies. So we, in a traditional fighter flight debrief, you would have to, the instructor would have to pull all those, look at the tapes, look at certain points in time, to, do we shoot our missiles on time, do we not go into the enemy threat range, and we'd have to pull that out manually with some technologies that the Air Force Research Laboratory is pursuing, AI, machine learning, or simulator, we would be able to pull that data automatically, especially out of the simulator. If we can put that technology into the live arena as well, that would be great. It would save time in debrief, obviously, and then as a combat aviators or whatever operator essentially is uh, building those metrics, building those competencies, it can be a constant back and forth update of well, we don't really do that anymore. Here's our new set of skills that we need to be up on top of. And besides the reaction times and whether they steer correctly and operate the engine and all the myriad of tasks, do you also take measurements, again, in synthetic training of their biopsychological responses and that type of thing? Not at the leading edge of the CAF. Some of those technologies haven't made it into the, uh, the jets and the cockpits yet, but that is how, from my understanding, how some of the undergraduate pilot training pipelines have accelerated graduation. Gone from a 11 to 13 month process to graduate somebody just ready to fly any Air Force airplane. They've incorporated biometric feedback analysis of things in the cockpit to record either eye movement or vital signs to determine uh, kind of those states of human being. And we've been able to, I don't know the current pipeline on a, a program like that, but it, it, I think it has dramatically shortened the undergraduate side of training to get people into their final MDS. And how much in time in sim training or in simulated training or in synthetic training does a airman, air person need before you let them into a cockpit? Or does it happen simultaneously? For undergraduate pilot training, as well as your, your FTU, your follow-on training, your basic course, once you get to your actual, your combat-ready airframe, typically you'll do anywhere from three weeks to three months of just ground school, academics, engines, systems, hydraulics, whatever you need to just to understand the airplane. As you're kind of going through that, you'll get introduced to the simulator so you can find all the buttons, figure out how to turn the engines on, how to turn the lights on, all those different types of things. And then once you have at least a basic understanding of that, some understanding of tactics or um, procedures in the airplane, how you fly it, how you take off, how you land, how you fly a pattern, then we let you get in the airplane, <laughs> kind of. So it, it's anywhere three to six months in some type of ground school with simulators, and then you actually get into an airplane. And how close are the trainer fighters to the actual fighters? The so tra <laughs> training jets, I should the say. The T-38 is the, both the undergraduate uh, pilot training phase three for fighter bomber track pilots and aviators. It's 50 years old, almost. Right. Well, actually more than 50 years old, I believe. Uh, one of the oldest jets the Air Force has in the inventory, so we are pursuing a newer fighter, looking at the, I believe it's going to be the T-7. That is That's been in development out. a while. Huh? Yes. So it, it takes a while to get new airplanes, new trainers, but we understand uh, it's a very old airframe, just like my background, this Strike Eagle, 40 years old, the Eagles itself, 50 years old, so continuing to drive, get new airplanes out there. So the T-38 itself, a very basic trainer, two engines, 
very small, very small wings. So you learn how to basically go fast, make decisions at very high speeds. And then between your T-38 and then whatever your final fighter MDS is, that's really it. It's T-38, introduction to fighter fundamentals, and then you get into your MDS, and that's where you go back to ground school, learn this new airplane, learn how to fly this new airplane, and then go on to your operational squadron for mission qualification training. And the first time you pilot an F-15, F-16, or an F-18, whatever the case might be, what's that like the first time <laughs> the controls are in your hand and it's real? For myself, as a Wizzo in the backseat, controlling the airplane is not my primary duty, but it is... I remember the first time I flew a T-38 and moving that fast was a quite a unique experience, an exhilarating experience. And then graduating to the F-15, it was about the same thing. <laughs> you just, it's a big, giant window, 360 glass office, and that's, I don't think there's any better job. All right. And one thing I always wondered, when you fire a missile, do you feel it? From the jet? Yes, absolutely. So the biggest, the largest uh, air-to-ground ordnance that I have dropped is a 2,000-pound weapon, and you can feel that. Not on the stick, not on the controls at the time it comes off, but I'm sure that that changes the aerodynamics of the airplane, and that there's just a lot of weight uh, coming off the airplane that's going to change the way it maneuvers. So All right. even in the back seat, you can feel the, the thunk of let the airplane letting go. Air Force Major Joseph Silverio is a synthetic training officer for the Air Combat Command. He spoke with Tom Temin at this week's Sea Air Space Conference. We'll post this interview at Federal News Network. Network.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive wherever you get your podcasts.